The History Channel original podcast. Sports history this week. February 20th, 1951. I'm Kalen Jones. Emmett Ashford is waiting inside Parque Hildago, the ballpark for the Mexicali Eagles in Mexico, just a mile south of the California border. It's a flat, dusty area. Today, there's plenty of sunshine, but it's still cool out. Remember, it's February, or actually, July. Ashford himself later says, this happens in the summer. Even so, countless sources have stuck to this February date. It's the one we first found when putting together this episode. So this day in February is when the world has decided his story begins. It's not the first time his life's journey has been taken out of his control. Ashford, a 36-year-old Los Angeles native, has been a baseball umpire for years. He's done everything in his power to get this opportunity, but he hasn't had control over when he'll rise to that next level. It's been more than a decade. Finally, he lands a tryout within the Southwest International League to become a professional umpire. If he succeeds, he'll become the first black umpire in organized baseball. Ashford has always been a high achiever. In high school, he earned straight A's, became the first black student body president, and was a member of the scholarship club. After college, he landed a coveted job at the post office. But over the past decade, he's found a new love, umpiring. It was called the show when Emmett Ashford was umpiring behind home plate because it was indeed a show. Ashford slowly climbs up the umpiring ladder, officiating through the high school and college circuits. But he has higher aspirations. He wants to be a full-time umpire. This is like pie in the sky. What are you talking about? He got opposition from his co-workers. Like, dude, you're crazy. But not to be deterred, he keeps working until he lands a tryout. So Ashford treks down south. He's here in Mexico preparing to umpire a minor league game when all of a sudden, there's a problem. He's not the only umpire in the game. And two others, who are white, won't take the field with a black man. The game is delayed. Fans wait anxiously. Ashford is likely anxious too. He stands along the foul line waiting. All he needs is a chance to prove that, while the color of his skin has become the sticking point for folks, it shouldn't prevent him from being here. Today, Emmett Ashford attempts to become the first black umpire in organized baseball. Can he make it happen? And if so, can he overcome the barriers to make it all the way to the majors? Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. 
I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. In the 1930s, Emmett Ashford is in college and playing on a baseball team called the Mystery Nine out of Los Angeles. They wear uniforms with a question mark on the front. As the game is set to begin, he's sitting on the bench. An umpire missed the assignment and they needed an umpire. This is Doug Harris, who created an upcoming documentary about Emmett Ashford titled Called Up. The teams wait about 15 or 20 minutes and then come looking for Ashford, the bench warmer who's out of uniform. They ask him to take over, but he doesn't want to do it. Despite his protests, teammates basically carry him to the backstop behind the catcher, and he accepts his fate. By the seventh inning, Ashford notices the people in the stands watching this game are enjoying his umpiring style. And to his own surprise, he likes it too. From the point that he got behind the plate and umpired the game, he just immediately felt comfortable umpiring. So Ashford grows determined to incorporate umpiring into his life. While he works at the post office during the day, he begins filling his free time working games at high schools and junior colleges. He was not a traditional umpire. That's Raymond Bell, the executive producer of Called Up, the Emmett Ashford story. He evoked theater, entertainment, bringing the fans into the game, much different than the stoic umpire, you're out, safe. Doug Harvey is a former MLB umpire who worked with Ashford in the minors. He recalls hearing his special strike call in an interview for the film Called Up. It wasn't just strike, it was strike! <laughs> and everybody in the stands would go, ooh, ah! Ashford's theatrics aren't just limited to calling balls and strikes. When a player is sliding in to beat a throw... Well, Emmett's sliding too. So I'm just saying, he's putting on a, you know, he's doing a show. People are coming in and saying, man. And so now people are coming to the games in droves. Here's Mark Armour, a baseball historian who's written about Ashford. He jumped over the foul lines like the players did. He jumped over the mound. He talked to the fans. He talked to the players. He dressed much better than the other umpires with the handkerchief in the pocket. If Ashford's performances don't catch people's attention, his vibrant outfits certainly do. Ashford is routinely well-dressed, sporting cufflinks, polished shoes, kerchief in his pocket. Quite different than the grumpy, old umpires that people are accustomed to seeing. We spoke with Adrienne Bratton, the daughter of Emmett Ashford. Well, I think that was an extension of his personality. Because this was before Martin Luther King, and we're judging character. People are seeing your appearance before your character. World War II pauses Ashford's umpire career. He's called to serve, spending three years in the U.S. Navy. One evening in 1945, while stationed in Corpus Christi, Texas, 
He's laying in his cot when an announcement airs over the radio that Jackie Robinson has signed with the Brooklyn Dodgers. Here's Ashford himself. I remember some of the others, the early fellas, early blacks you got. And I said, I'm going to then, I said, I'm going to be the first umpire. As in, the first black umpire in the majors. When World War II ends, Ashford returns rejuvenated to his home in Los Angeles. He starts umpiring at higher levels, Division I college baseball and the Negro Winter League. I worked those exhibition games during the winter over the old Wrigley Field. A little barnstorm all over Southern California, and I, I was umpire. And Bob Felling used to bring out an all-star team. He played Jackie Robinson. That's Ashford talking about umpiring with Jackie Robinson in the game. Future Hall of Famer Satchel Page, too. At this time, major celebrities often come to watch ball games, including Lena Horne, Duke Ellington, and Langston Hughes. The Negro League is an opportunity for Ashford to get lots of eyes on him. In fact, it's a scout who first notices Ashford's skill and helps arrange a tryout for him. Here's the point in Ashford's story that's left up for debate. The year is 1951. While many will cite that the tryout happens in February, Ashford himself says it happens in July, over Independence Day weekend. Regardless of when, here's what we do know. In 1951, Emmett Ashford travels 235 miles south from Los Angeles to Mexico for a four-game tryout. He would call games between the Tucson Cowboys and Mexicali Eagles. In a time before television is everywhere, minor league baseball is setting attendance records. In Mexico, the stadium is packed. Everything is set to proceed until the two white umpires needed for the tryout refuse to take the field alongside a black man. The game won't begin until they find replacements. Ashford's dream is just inches away. He's good at his job. He knows he's capable. As he waits, though, he starts wondering if blatant racism will prevent him from showing he deserves to be here. Eventually, officials bring in an umpire down from El Centro, California to work the bases, and Ashford can try out. He takes his place behind home plate. But even as Ashford officiates today's game, the daily threat of racism keeping him from his ultimate goal remains. A week later, Ashford picks up a call from Les Powers, the president of the Southwest International League, a minor league, but a professional league nonetheless. Would you care to finish the season? Ashford says, I ran into the postmaster's office, got a leave of absence for three months, and took off. In 1951, Emmett Ashford becomes the first ever black umpire in organized baseball. Ashford's daughter, Adrienne Bratton. And I knew that he loved to umpire, and that was something that made him proud. So advancing to another level, I was happy for him. It was reported in headlines when it happened, it went all around the country because this was actually news that Emmett Ashford is the first Negro umpire in professional baseball. That was the first mountain to climb. 
was breaking that barrier. And then it's on to the next. The next mountain being the major leagues. For that to even be a possibility, there would be a long climb still ahead. Ashford is asked to officiate the playoffs, then after the season, is offered a contract for the following year. This is exactly what he's wanted for so long, a chance to begin a life as a full-time professional umpire. But it's a complicated decision. It's odd to become an umpire this late in life. It's a job that most begin young, rising to the major leagues by their 30s. Not to mention, Ashford already has a career. If he takes the job as an umpire, he would be leaving behind a significant pension built from 15 years at the post office. When Emmett is saying, I want to be a professional umpire, that's what I want to be, there were none. And so, again, by working at the post office, which is a middle-class job, was a job that blacks would seek. This is like pie in the sky. What are you talking about? He got opposition from his co-workers. Like, dude, you're crazy. You know, how are you going to be an umpire? But he loved the game. But for Ashford, it's an easy decision. He stuns his co-workers and friends and abruptly quits the post office to embark on a path that no black man has ever been allowed to take. Ashford says, I had to make the decision which everybody has to make in his lifetime sometime. How many men go to their graves without ever doing what's in their hearts? It's 1952. Emmett Ashford is about to begin a new stage of his life, umpiring in a minor league baseball system, the Class C Southwest International League. He's given up everything to make it happen. And then, on his first day on the job, the entire league folds. Like many other minor leagues, it felt the crunch of television and the loss of interested consumers. For most other umpires who are white, this isn't a problem. After all, there are 57 other minor leagues. But for Ashford, he's hardly getting any calls. Finally, a few weeks later, he's relocated to El Paso, Texas. When he arrives, two policemen are stationed outside the park. By the third inning, there are 15. El Paso was playing their perennial enemy, Chihuahua. And... I didn't know they'd been fighting like cats and dogs before I got there. First inning, I had to go to third base to make a call, and I pulled out, and before I can get my arms up to safe position, I hear all this stuff that Jackie Robinson heard. Ashford, why in the hell don't you go back to California? We don't want you out trying to do a white man's job. The game proceeds, but the environment is tense. It's a critical moment in the game. In and out would end the inning. The count is two and two. The pitcher throws, and Emmett calls another ball, rather than the strike the pitcher wants. The catcher gets in Ashford's face. The pitcher stomps toward the plate, too. Ashford steadies himself and says he's going to get additional game balls and, quote, if any of you guys are still here, you won't have anything but a forfeit and those 15 policemen you brought in. This works. The players back off and they continue playing the game. The next day, the El Paso press calls it a display of guts and courage and damn good umpiring. 
Ashford's dream is still to make it to the big leagues, but working the minors does not provide a straight shot to Major League Baseball. For the next few years, Ashford's career is unsteady. At one point, he becomes a general manager of an all-black minor league squad. Then, he returns to umpiring for the Arizona-Texas League. It's not an easy life. He faces more of the callous, open racism he experienced in El Paso. And not just from the fans, some umpires continue to refuse to take the field alongside him. He wasn't accepted into the fraternity. So when he goes on these, these journeys, he's not uh, included with them. So you can only imagine feeling the loneliness. He said, you wouldn't believe the things people have said to me behind the plate. And he says, I just tried to ignore it. Ashford encounters racism from the ballplayers as well. The particular people that he's dealing with have never dealt with a black man telling them, you're out, you, you, you gotta get out of here. I'm kicking you out of the game. And so for that to happen, it generated a lot of excitement and, and notoriety too back here in Los Angeles and around the country because that was uh, breaking through the ceiling for African-Americans, so people were paying attention. Meanwhile, Ashford retains his signature theatrical style. While some find it entertaining, for others, it's just another reason to resent him. Man, how are you going to be an umpire with that kind of style? These white guys are not going to let you in being an umpire with that kind of style, and you're just dreaming. Brad Pye Jr. wrote for the L.A. Sentinel, a black-owned newspaper, and spoke with the called-up documentary team. There was a white umpire that emulated Emmett, and they said that he was colorful, but Emmett was a clown. Here it is, uh, a black man that's umpiring and all these racist individuals that are out there calling him that N-word, and the, what, what is his reaction going to be? You know, what is it? This is a test. And so every eye is on him, and what he does is maintain who he really is. He stays as that entertaining guy. I'm not going to let the N-word bother me. And this was the beauty and the resiliency of Emmett Ashford. And I think that humor is what helped him going through some of the obstacles when he was trying to advance in the umpiring arena. Around this time, Ashford still has hope he can make it to the majors. He says, quote, I know that the road to the big leagues will be a hard one, but most of my biggest obstacles are behind me now. It's 1955, and Emmett Ashford is appearing on the televised comedic quiz series called You Bet Your Life, hosted by Groucho Marx. Ashford's eyes are full of pride, smiling into the crowd. Groucho introduces Ashford as one of the most respected and capable umpires in the Pacific Coast League. He even asks Ashford if he thinks he'll make it to the big league soon. His response, quote, well, gosh, Groucho, there have been rumors, but I haven't heard anything definite. And of course, it's my ambition like everybody else. Since 1951, Ashford has risen through the ranks of the minor league baseball system, all the way up to the Pacific Coast League, one of only two AAA leagues, the highest level of the minors. 
baseball historian Mark Armour. I think that the PCL had a particular resonance because of the fact that there were no major league teams on the West Coast. Former pitcher and L.A. Dodgers manager Tommy Lasorda says in the called-up documentary that the PCL is more than just a minor league. I played one year in the Pacific Coast League. There were a lot of good players in the league because there's a lot of players didn't want to go to the big leagues because they were doing much better at AAA and they were making more money. The move to the PCL increases Ashford's fame. His dynamic umpiring style and spiffy suits certainly help, but he's also an L.A. guy, suddenly umpiring for a Western league. Everybody in L.A. knew him and Ashford. Everybody in L.A. knew Now he's going to be in the PCL, which was, was the West Coast? Are you kidding me? Around the corner from his house. Brad Pye made a comment that Emmett Ashford was as popular as Sidney Portier. And I'm, I'm like, this can't be true. You know, this guy's an umpire. <laughs> the PCL is great for Ashford's career, but it's still not the big leagues. And time isn't on his side. He's already in his 40s, older than the other umpires coming up. A year goes by, then another. Ashford still doesn't get the call. At this time in Major League Baseball, an umpire can only work until they're 55 and then they have to retire. Meanwhile, other minor league umpires with less experience are getting called up instead of Ashford, even the ones he's mentored. But Ashford still has hope. Baseball historian Mark Armour. Not that people said he wasn't good enough, but it was more just, you know, that, well, it's too bad that he didn't have that chance, but he's a good umpire, you know, where he is. At a time when baseball teams themselves have already integrated, why is it so hard to integrate the umpiring position? Well, come on. He was an umpire. Now, I'm not belittling any players or anything, but there were players who had broken through, but... He wasn't playing. He was umpiring. He was the judge. That was his court. And he could tell players what to do and what not to do. That was, (laughs) you don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Baseball players, a lot of them come from these farm areas. And that's all they know is what they've been taught. So therefore, to accept a verdict or a call from someone of color is a little unusual, to say the least. Behind home plate, Ashford's authority could affect one inning, or maybe the outcome of a game. But giving a black man power over a white man would send the message well outside the confines of a ballpark. And this broader, nationwide struggle is about to hit a breaking point. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. August 11, 1965. The story of police brutality quickly spread through the community. Protests erupt in the predominantly black Los Angeles neighborhood of Watts after police beat 21-year-old Marquette Fry when pulling him over for reckless driving. Thousands of National Guard troops descend on L.A., resulting in several deaths, destruction, and long-running trauma within and around the community. This evening, Los Angeles remains hot, quiet, tense and dangerous, and 28 people are dead. Inequality, injustice, segregation, all this is is coming to a boiling point. You've got a number of things going on. March on Washington, Bloody Sunday, a number of events are going on. And then eventually one that that hits home here in, in Los Angeles was the Watts Riot. This was Emmett Ashford City, where he spent his life, has a family. How was everybody feeling at the time? Scared. I was scared. As the riots went on, it was just a matter of staying within a certain boundary at that time and being aware. Like you said, I was just, I've been going up to the phone company and daily and like I say, I was stopped because I didn't look like I belonged in the area. While all of this is going on in 1965, Ashford has risen up to a leadership position within the Pacific Coast League. At 50 years old, he's been promoted to the role of umpire-in-chief, making him responsible for the training of crews and advising the league on disputed rules. Over the past few years, the civil rights movement has grown significantly. It coincides with the grassroots movement questioning why Emmett Ashford has not been moved up to the majors yet. Brad Pye, Jim Murray, black newspapers all across the country, galvanizing people, NAACP, different organizations supporting, pushing for him to to make that breakthrough. So we started this campaign to send these press releases out to get Emmett Ashford in the majors. And for more than three years, we didn't get the first base. The sentiment that was growing across the country, there was a a wave of sentiment. Why isn't Emmett Ashford in? This push for Emmett Ashford, though, it feels more meaningful than just one job. Certainly, the hope of African-Americans hoping that he could break through the barriers of racism, prejudice, hoping 
that there's another person that we can look to to break through barriers that I want to become a black doctor. I want to become a, a black scientist. I want to become a black politician. You can feel that hope through these newspapers and understand the pressures that were on him to be a success. I mean, there, there was so much uncertainty that he got his real estate license. Was there a point where he lost hope about becoming a major league umpire? He did lose hope. He had pretty much, for the most part, given it up and decided that he was going to pursue another profession at that point in his life. By now, Emmett has umpired 2,800 minor league games and says he's almost ready to quit. One of the things that Emmett didn't realize was that there were powers that were working on his behalf. It's now April of 1966, and it turns out the movement, the public pressuring, perhaps the political turmoil plaguing the nation and L.A., it's all coming together in favor of Emmett Ashford's goal. And then Ashford gets a phone call. And this is a big one. He gets a phone call from Dory Soriano. The president of the Pacific Coast League, who's long supported Ashford. Letting him know that his contract has been purchased by the American League. This is the moment he's been waiting for, for so many years. And he says, Emmett, your, your dreams come true. You're in the major leagues. At age 51, just a few years from the mandatory retirement age, Emmett Ashford becomes the first black umpire in Major League Baseball. And at that moment, man, Emmett just about explodes. He said, man, I almost went to the ceiling. And so Soriano said, hey, he didn't hear anything. He said, man, you, you okay? You all right? And he's just saying, man, just from the, the adrenaline and the excitement, you can only imagine 15 years I've waited. Think about it. Just just kind of just kind of chew on that for a minute. 15 years I've waited. You know, naysayers, N-word, racism, haters, every single thing by myself. I believed. I believed. In that moment, the guy tells you, you can only imagine what was bubbling up in his body. The spirit that he had faced, the tears that came down his eyes. That finally, the Jackie Robinson moment, that I'm a, I'm a voice for everybody. I'm partial, but I thought he was the best one out there. I felt he deserved it because he was good. It's April 11th, 1966, opening day at the DC Stadium in Washington. Emmett Ashford is in a taxi cab with his wife, heading over to umpire in his first ever Major League Baseball game. Vice President Hubert Humphrey will be in attendance to throw the first pitch. More than 44,000 people fill the stands. Ashford's cab pulls up to a checkpoint. Here's Ashford himself in an old interview. So the cab driver told the agent, I've got one of the umpires here. And the agent says, come on, Nana, who are you trying to kill and whoever the attendant was, is like, man, there ain't no black umpires. What are, you, what are you talking about? Is this some kind of joke? Or what, what's going on? 
he literally almost didn't get into his first assignment and no fault of his own. But that was the mindset in America. Like when you broke a barrier, you know, these are the type of things that you had to go through. Certainly it was part of that maturation of that 15 year journey, dealing with everything that he did with all the weight that he carried. All this was not going to deny him that moment, that joyous moment of walking out there in front of that packed house. Major League Baseball, my ultimate dream is today. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to represent all African-Americans today. Ashford would go on to umpire in Major League Baseball until 1970. He would get the chance to umpire for an All-Star game and even a World Series. Still, despite Ashford's breakthrough, it takes several decades for black umpires to reach career milestones their white peers reach without obstacle. The second black Major League umpire arrives just two years later, Art Williams. But 2008 is the first year a pair of black umpires work a Major League game together. And in 2020, Kerwin Danley becomes the first ever black crew chief in MLB history, 50 years after Ashford's retirement. Danley spoke to Bell and Harris for their documentary. I am proud of the fact that Emmett Ashford stuck it out, endured all the problems that he had to deal with. And I'm glad that he went through it because I don't know if I could have went through it the way he did. He's deservingly to be in the Baseball Hall of Fame. And I certainly with all he's done because people don't know. And we feel as though that once people find out what he accomplished and the love of the game that he had for baseball, it's unparalleled. Thanks for listening to Sports History This Week. For moments throughout history that are also worth watching, check your local TV listings to find out what's on the History Channel today. Other notable sports stories that happened this week? 1980, the U.S. hockey team beats the heavily favored Soviet Union during the Winter Olympics and goes on to win the gold medal. 1992, Christy Yamaguchi of the United States wins the Olympic gold medal in women's figure skating. If you want to get in touch, feel free to email us at sportspod at history.com or leave a voicemail at 212-351-0410. We love to hear from our fans and non-fans too. Special thanks to our guests, Raymond Bell, the executive producer of Called Up, The Emmett Ashford Story, and Doug Harris, the producer, director, and editor of the same film. Thank you as well to Emmett Ashford's daughter, Adrian Bratton, and Mark Armour, a baseball historian. The film Called Up is expected to be released in June of 2023 on PBS. This episode was produced by Cooper McKimp, story edited by me, Kaylin Jones, and sound design by Bill Moss. Sports History This Week is also produced by David Ingber. Our associate producers are Emma Fredericks and Hazel May. Our senior producer is Ben Dickstein. Our supervising producer is McKamey Lynn, and our executive producer is Jesse Katz. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review Sports History This Week wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll see you next week. 
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.